Welcome to the Viscast. I'm glad to finally be back, and I'm back with a critical topic, perhaps the most critical topic for Christianity, and that is atonement. There is a shift happening in American Christianity. I'm becoming quite sure of this. The principal doctrines of the church are losing their power. And one of the principal doctrines that is losing power and force is atonement theology. Atonement literally means unity. You can see that just by the makeup of the word. It, it's literally just the words at and onement put together. Uh, reconciliation might be a clearer definition, however. Atonement theories are the ultimate example of the transactional nature of most of Christianity. The transaction goes like this. If a person believes the right doctrine about Jesus' death and resurrection, that is, Jesus' atonement, that person will have life after death. In this way, it is quite clearly the most important transaction and has arguably been the foundational claim of Christianity for thousands of years, a thousand years, you could argue since the inception of Christianity. This transactional way of viewing things has had detractors along the way. Two rather modern detractors are Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Paul Tillich. However, these detractors have remained on the periphery of Christianity, or rather their ideas on atonement have remained on the periphery. Well, modern-day detractors, and I include myself among them, are having a bit of a moment, and it is my sincere hope that this moment will transform Christianity, though I am admittedly doubtful that it will. But I think it's possible. So, my father and I are adding our voices to this discussion. This is the first of four episodes that will focus on atonement. We want to explain three prominent atonement theories and give our thoughts on them. And then have a fourth episode in which we have a general discussion about the three theories. And also, really, what are we currently thinking about the death and resurrection of Jesus if we're not thinking about it in these traditional ways? In the third episode, I will be discussing one of the theories with another pastor who has done significant work on it. We begin with what was the most popular atonement theory called Christus Victor for the first 1,000 years of Christian history. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this discussion. When you talk about atonement theories or um, salvation formulas, I would say those are basically the same thing, two different ways of saying it. Uh, what you find is that there is an attempt by most scholars to utilize as much of the biblical witness as possible, uh, leading up to and culminating in Jesus' death and resurrection. Post-death and resurrection, which is what we live in, a bit fuzzier, I have to admit, for, for almost all of these theories. But, so you then need to start with a problem, right? That then Jesus and God maybe together overcome. And then that is the basis for the formula. And then your role as a Christian is to trust that formula. And then trusting and having faith in that formula will then get you something. And in this case, 
something pretty significant, right? You won't, you will die, but you will live on after death, basically. So the problem is almost always articulated. If it's not, if there's a different way of articulating the problem, I don't know what it is, actually, I should say, um, with Adam and Eve and what happens in the Garden of Eden. And it's that they disobey God in taking from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, They are tricked, let's say, I think in most of these, or or tempted, maybe is a a better word to use, by this figure in the garden uh, called the snake. They take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Before having done that, everything was... um, good, positive, uh, maybe even perfect is a word some folks would use. After that, um, evil enters the picture. They are expelled from the garden and, and forced to live in this complicated, dysfunctional world that we live in. And they are now also somehow different. So the world they have to live in is different. It's not the paradise of the garden. It's the world like we live in. It's complicated. It's dysfunctional. There's animosity between people, right? There's sin. There's pain and suffering. Good, exactly. There's pain and suffering and death. And death. So for some, they were not going to die in the garden, and now outside of it they die. All these things enter the picture through their disobedient act. And that's the beginning of, or, or that is the uh, origin of the problem right. that then needs to be remedied. And in the Christian story is ultimately remedied through the death and resurrection of Jesus. The question that atonement theories are confronting is how? How does the death and resurrection of Jesus Sometimes, spoiler alert, the resurrection actually doesn't play any role. Um, so sometimes it's just the death. But how how is Jesus and what he does here on earth uh, solving the problem created by Adam and Eve? And then for many scholars, it also wants to be how is Jesus' life, death, and res- resurrection in continuity with God's relationship with Israel? Just to put it, just to sum it up sort of as simply as I possibly can. How is, right, can we draw a line from Abraham, nation of Israel, then to the Jewish people, to Jesus, right? Can that all be one thread that obviously leads or rightfully leads to Jesus coming into the world, being a divine and human and teaching and healing and then dying and rising again. Can we make that fit with Abraham and Israel and all of those things? Um, Scholars, Old and New Testament, want or attempt to incorporate as much of that as they possibly can. And so we're going to start today with what was the most popular and really the, the only atonement theory out there for about the first thousand years of Christianity. So the first atonement theory that gained popularity and then kept popularity for about a thousand years is known as Christus Victor. 
just means Christ the victor or Christ victorious. And the main summation of it is quite simple, and that is Christ came to defeat evil and did defeat evil. Full stop. The how of it leaves a lot to be desired. How is it that Jesus came, lived a life, healed, taught, died, and rose again, ascended to heaven? How is it that through that life and death and resurrection and ascension that Jesus defeated evil? Now, when we say evil, we need to be clear that we're talking about supernatural evil. So we're talking about the devil or Satan. We're talking about demons. We're talking about things that are closer to being natural, like sin and death. Those are the big ones. So a couple of explanations that were given early on. So let's say second, third, fourth century. Uh, One was that Satan held humanity captive God then offered Jesus in exchange for humanity to Satan. Sorry, Satan is holding humanity captive. Uh, God offers Jesus in exchange for humanity. They do the exchange, and then um, Jesus is killed, and then God essentially retracts the offer of Jesus by raising him from the dead. Right? This is God um, sort of tricking Satan in a way. Some some call that the ransom theory, right? Humanity is being held ransom, Jesus is given um, in exchange, right? And and then humanity is freed, and then also Jesus is also freed from death uh, by God. Is this the one that has where that the devil can't resist this offering? Or is that is that this one? No, I don't think it's this one. Okay. No. Um, this, that, it's, no, because this one is transactional in a way. The the resisting one is that Jesus is Jesus is brought into Satan's domain. So that is this world. Um, in this theory, there is a Earth is a battleground between good and evil, and mostly evil is in control and winning. Um, that's why Jesus needs to come to overcome evil and set humanity free from sin and death. And it's the power of Satan. So Jesus is sent into Satan's domain, looking like a regular vulnerable human being. In this one, God is using Jesus as bait. And because God knew Satan, this is where you were wondering, God knew that Satan wouldn't be able to resist Jesus. Uh, And yet, because he knew Jesus was also divine, that Satan... Once, once Satan took Jesus, he Satan would not be able to sort of stomach Jesus. So he takes Jesus. Oh yeah. And then Jesus goes where humanity is held, sort of captive by Satan, um, and that is hell. And he then takes imprisoned humanity with him when he is spewed out by Satan, because Satan couldn't stomach Jesus in the way that Satan could stomach a normal human being. Jesus is spewed out, takes imprisoned humanity with him, and that's the explanation for Jesus overcoming evil. And there are icons in 
uh, Israel-Palestine in the churches, and not just there, but I when recently when I was in Nicaragua, I saw the exact same icon where there's this stone that lays on an open grave. It's broken. Jesus is climbing out or being spewed out, but here he's climbing out. He has Adam and Eve Adam in his right hand, Eve in his left hand, and he's pulling them out with him. And then you have these, this image of multitudes, all these heads and shadows of multitudes coming behind them. So he's, he's, uh, ransoming captive Israel. He's, you know, he's taking all of humanity, all the way back to Adam and Eve, out of imprisonment, out of bondage into freedom yeah so you can i mean you can make sense of sense of that the the idea is that humanity went into bondage when adam and eve disobeyed and went into this fallen world and they were in bondage until jesus came and took them out of that bondage that's that descended into hell thing right uh from the apostles creed descended into hell and you get that in one of the peters peter first peter first peter okay um this this atonement theory uh, sort of lost uh, prestige and popularity after about a thousand years, but it's being revived as people um, sort of are reimagining and rethinking atonement. <clears throat> and most of the people who are reimagining and rethinking are people who had a different atonement theory than this one, and they're coming back. Um, this is Christians love to do this. Um, go back to earlier material and say, "Ah, we lost this stuff. Let's bring it back." This is we had the right answers a thousand years ago, or fifteen hundred years ago, or all the way back to Acts. So let's go back to that, or let's um, go back to Judaism. That's popular too. Yeah, let's find the roots of Christianity or Judaism, and and sometimes these things it's are helpful. really, really, yeah, it's really not, fruitful. Yeah, it is. Sometimes um, you're right. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's romanticism of, right. of a past that wasn't so great yeah. and is seen as greater than it really yeah, was. Make Christianity great again. Yeah. But the people who are reimagining and rethinking and going back to this Christus Victor theory, they don't care. The two explanations I gave right. are not ones they really they care for, for reasons that I think are, are probably obvious. And so what is being proposed by some is this idea of there being like a deep magic mm. to the universe or maybe it's just to the earth or maybe it's a deep divine magic. It's not clear. It's um, it's fuzzy. But the idea is there's a deep magic in which self-sacrificial love can overcome any kind of evil, um, destructive and death and evil that can all be overcome by self-sacrificial love in this particular iteration evil doesn't seem to be aware of this deep magic otherwise evil wouldn't have fallen for it right so it's it's similar there's a the trickster notion is still there right right jesus and god know there's this deep magic satan doesn't know there's this deep magic or the evil powers don't know so they fall for it thinking they can you know, they can kill Jesus, this ultimate prize or something like that, and then 
Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, Chronicles of Narnia uses this, right? Mm -hmm. So this is C.S. Lewis, great mind, great thinker and writer, you know, adopts this kind of notion when he's trying to understand what Jesus does. And that's then the explanation for how Jesus defeats the evil powers he knows, Jesus and God know about this deeper truth, this deeper magic in in which self-sacrificial love can defeat what seems like a more powerful evil. And it's attractive to a lot of people, right? Chronicles of Narnia are beloved. Okay, um, last thing I'll say about the particulars of this theory um, is how is it that humanity, right? How do we sort of attach ourselves to Jesus's victory? So in some senses, we are reconciled because Jesus has defeated evil and the cosmos has then been freed from the bondage that it was in. So in some senses, you could say we don't need to do anything. Jesus did it. That'd be a very reformed way of looking at it. What I mean by that is in reformed circles, you never want to give the believer any credit for his or her salvation. Jesus gets all the credit. So in that sense, in a reformed view, that would be the answer. Still maybe reformed, but maybe not, is all who trust in Christ and in Christ's victory are incorporated into Christ and Christ's victory. So you can share in Christ's victory by trusting Jesus and trusting Jesus' victory. So let me quote something from Gregory Boyd. So if you want to find somebody who is a current proponent of this theory, there is a, um, I believe he's a pastor, his name is Gregory Boyd, and he writes this, Jesus has freed the cosmos from demonic oppression and thus freed all inhabitants who will simply submit to this new loving reign. We are saved from Satan, from the destruction that would have been the inevitable consequence of our sin, saved from inability, the inability to live in right relatedness with God, saved from futile striving to find life from things of this world, saved from our meaninglessness, and saved to participate in fullness of life in the kingdom of God. That, I think, is illustrative of how a contemporary thinker and theologian imagines how Christus Victor works. In this case, how it works for us. Jesus has freed us from these powers to live a full, loving life in relationship with God and striving for the right things. Okay. So the question is, what do we think of this particular atonement theory? Um, where Where do you find it attractive? Where do you find it troubling or odd or or anything even though i might not know how it all works i like the notion of being free free from guilt free from worry about sin you know to be able to go and and confess and be forgiven and to be every sunday morning reminded in church that that in christ i'm forgiven in christ i'm free the problem is when you for for me anyway when you stop to think about 
the notion of how that happens, then it becomes problematic. How is it that a sovereign God uh, doesn't, that the earth is not his and everything in it? How does it belong to the devil? How does that how does that even fit in, in my modern mind <laughs> that there's this being out there that somehow the earth belongs to this being and humanity belongs to this being and God has to buy it back and has to trick him? I mean, that's, that to me seems, when you when you step back from it, that seems to me contradictory to a God who is sovereign, a God who created the world and to whom the world belongs and the Psalms and every other place almost in the Hebrew scriptures anyway talks about, you know, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, you know, the sea and all that dwells therein, and it goes all the way to to us. Then all of a sudden we've made this shift that no, no, not really. It really belongs to these evil powers, and God has to buy it back. I mean that 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 works maybe back when there you were paying ransom for captives. I mean, as, as late as the eleventh, twelfth century, during the Crusades, it was there was it was common practice that you bought back, you ransomed captives you know the muslims captured crusader knights and the franks would buy them back they were ransomed and buy them back so i can see where where that might be a a way of that they would have could have thought about god and the devil and christ and all of that but i don't live back there yeah this this theory gets unseated by um, another very popular theory that I, I'm sure you were also taught in seminary, and certainly I was as well, which is um, penal substitutionary atonement. We will do that one next. It is it is now, as we speak, the most popular atonement theory, and it gets and the reason I mention it is it gets unseated. Christus Victor gets unseated by um, penal substitutionary atonement because of the sovereignty issue. There is just an uncomfortability for enough Christian thinkers, and that with the notion that God was not fully sovereign and had to defeat or ransom or whatever it might be uh, another competing power in order to save us, um, that just for some struck them as not congruent with a sovereign God, and it's a it's a really fair criticism another troubling part of this for me though is josh that there are still remnants of this powerful being that's the opposite of god the rival of god who still has people captive and that's the devil and we give we have to give the devil his due but in in so many circles we give the devil a whole lot more than his due so we you know, we still got people casting out demons and, you know, and I hear these stories from people that I know, uh, friends even, who will tell about how they lay on hands and uh, cast out the demon of alcoholism on Native American reservations. I mean, that's the latest one I've heard that 
on Native American or Indian American Indian reservations where it's rampant with alcoholism with lots of reasons. They lay hands on and they, they, they literally cast out the demon of alcoholism. And I, I think that's, Josh, I'm not, and I may be wrong about this. I mean, so, I mean, really would, am interested in your pushback on this or your corrective, but that feels to me like remnant, a remnant of Christ, Christ the victor to me. I mean, it still seems like we're given, the devil still owns this place. Yeah. So a couple, so a couple of things I think. One is the New Testament does seem to view the world in this way. That is that Satan and evil powers are controlling humanity and the world and something needs to be done by God to save humanity and the world from the bondage of of evil. Um, usually Satan and demons or the devil are a part of that scenario. So I would say in terms of the New Testament, I think Christus Victor is better than all of the other ones we will go on to talk about. I think it has, whatever that means, it has the most, like it can incorporate you, you, or you could quote many, many passages which seem to be supporting this notion that Jesus needs to come and defeat the devil and that, in fact, Jesus does. Then one big question is, you know, it clearly wasn't a full defeat, right? So what are we doing now? Are, are, is it is defeat not defeated it's going to be defeated it was sort of half defeated or it was defeated but the victory has been put off till later um you know i i find that uh, extremely confusing though i admit that the new testament does seem to be saying that that's what jesus did people who are then people who are doing exorcisms they're just doing a continuation of new testament um doctrine which says so you could think of it this way which is that because of what jesus did we now all have the power that's right to do those things as well so if you call on that power those because they really are already defeated by jesus I, I still think that's that's strange but if you call on that power you too um, can defeat the evil powers among among us through exorcism um, or what have you. And you have story after story after story being told of that very thing happening in the third world and even, like I say, friends of mine who who are huge into healing ministry and exorcism and who will tell you stories about, I mean, I've got a friend who claims to have raised somebody from the dead. And this is somebody I know. And, I mean, what do you do with that? I don't I don't know what to do with that. I just raise that because it's one of those things where it's confounding to me. But I, I find the remnant in it back back in this, this atonement theory that the devil has this power, but we in Christ have power over the devil. That's right. And so, in its favor, much of the New Testament has this framework about the world and Jesus and the devil. I don't, I don't think there's any question about that. And so I can see why it was the earliest and, and very popular for, for many years. For me, 
to imagine the world in this way is a stretch for me. That is to imagine actually personified evil powers out there that need to be defeated. That's a stretch for me. So I find it difficult to adopt the worldview that is required of you to adopt in order for this to be um, the atonement theory um, that that you you think is closest to the truth. I say the the other thing is it is I suppose frustrating that the how of this atonement theory is so elusive. I don't really quite understand how it, you know, death and resurrection does accomplish what this is said to accomplish. And I I don't find many of the explanations terribly um, persuasive. So that's also a difficulty for me in favor of it um, is I can see that there is systemic evil in, in our world. Um, Racism, is a huge one, one of the biggest. Um, I think you see wealth disparity is a huge problem. Um, nationalism is a huge problem. Misogyny is a huge problem. And these are these systemic problems, that w- w- which is what we're coming to understand, is that for many of these things, it is it is the air we breathe. Nobody needs to teach you to be misogynist it's the culture is itself misogynist right so the fact that there are evil systemic evil that needs to be overcome i think that's right and that we seem to be sort of incapable of overcoming it ourselves and we're all a part of these systems that are terrible right i mean the environment the way we treat the environment what we're doing I mean, we're we're ruining the planet, and we don't know how to stop. We can't. We seem unable right. to stop it. So, in that sense, it it seems to me to be sort of on to something. Well, there's been and there's been again what I confront with people that 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 are doing exorcisms and who are casting out demons that are related to alcoholism or. Uh, mental illness or a variety of things i hear that hear this from them all the time and it's it's like well you you know it's it's hard to know how to push back on that because it's for them it's almost you poor you poor soul you've not experienced the power of christ you know but where i want to go with this josh from in my own mind the problem i have is it's all and you touched on it. It's all individual. It's all about individuals. It, it we don't get at what is the systemic issues around evil or around destructive behaviors or destructive systems. We they don't talk about that. Their whole frame of thought is is about individuals being set free in Christ. And if we can just set enough individuals free in Christ, if we can have enough people see that they're free in Christ and they're freed from the devil and they're free from bondage, that then then the world will be a better place. And we don't address the systemic evil 
that's institutionalized and and that's destroying our world destroying our uh, our hum- our collective humanity we don't ad- how do we address that with this when this theory of atonement has been individualized that it's about me being set free god has ransomed me from the devil see this is where i think they're not really if they are adopting this particular atonement theory then they are not understanding well um, the ramifications of it the ramifications of this one are that all of all of the systems and uh, all of society not just you know individuals but all of this is to be ransomed from the evil um, that has it in bondage so if you are adopting an individualistic notion under Christus Victor I don't think you're really understanding right. Right. the weight of what Christus Victor is claiming. The individual notion might be stronger on some of these other ones, as we'll see, actually. But people do this all the time where they're, they're, you know, they're not operating solely under one theory of salvation. You know, they're using a myriad of them and sometimes... Speaking yes, in the languages exactly. of this one, and then other times speaking exactly. in the languages of this other one, and I don't blame them because none of these really work. Yeah, that's the problem. None of them really <laughs> work perfectly, so I can see why people adopt. And and the New Testament, you know, is is varied in its treatment of what Jesus, Jesus's death and resurrection accomplished. So I I don't really blame them. I think that. Increasingly, myself, I have become disenchanted with notions of personal salvation. I just, I don't care about it, frankly. It just, it doesn't interest me. But the idea of um, societal and um, global transformation, working together for those types of things, and acknowledging these systemic problems that we have, animal cruelty in our food chain right the way we treat animals huge huge problem that most people don't even talk about um, obviously the environment we mentioned that racism misogyny wealth disparity right that these that these systemic evils we're all participating in and we don't know how to get out of it um, and that christianity can speak into that that I think is is very appealing, and I think Christus Victor is at least pushing us in that direction, away from personnel, yes. my own personal, self, and towards a more cosmic view of what Jesus wants for and God wants for the world. And in that way, I think Christus Victor can help us and push us in the right direction. Thank you so much for listening. The next episode will be on penal substitutionary atonement, or Jesus died in your place for your sins. And it will be released next Tuesday. We are grateful to anyone and everyone who listens to our discussions. Please visit joshvis.com to learn more about me and my work. 